Hey everyone, uh, today's podcast is a little unique. Um, it's going to be just me, and I'll be talking about my experience in Mexico about a week ago. Uh, I got in a pretty big car accident, and just kind of go through the details of all that, kind of set the scene. It was back in an area where I served my mission. I was with a really good mission buddy of mine, um, and we just had a great time down there, and there was just a lot that went on. And so I kind of tried to contextualize it a little bit. I don't mean to make it sound like it's a super unique experience where like only I've experienced it, so everybody has to hear about it. It's more like a lot of people I know have experienced things like this. I even just talked to my brother the other day that where he mentioned his own experiences in this where he got into pretty big accidents in his life. And it's just kind of interesting to think about, reflect, and really put everything into context in a way where we can help where it can help process how we think about life and kind of existentialism to a degree. Anyway, I don't mean to make this dramatic at all. I just thought more than anything, it'd kind of be interesting to talk about. And it certainly helps me process what kind of transpired there and everything. So I thought I'd share it. And it's obviously a significant thing to happen in my life in a, in a part of the world that's pretty sacred to me as well. So I thought it was kind of cool. And um, a lot of things have been learned since then. I'm still learning a lot. And I'm trying to really extract the best meaning that I can from that experience. I hope you find this interesting. Um, if anybody else has some experiences like this that they'd like to share, I'd love to hear them um, and any insights that they've gleaned from their own experiences as well. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, anyway, once again, I hope you enjoy the podcast. And uh, as always, you know, if you're enjoying it, please. Uh, Share it with people if you think that might be helpful for them. Um, I don't really do much to promote this, but uh, I hope I hope it, it's enjoyed by uh, anyone, really. And um, let me know if you'd uh, like me to talk about anything else or have any interesting topics that you'd like to cover. Anyway, hope everybody's having a great week and enjoy. So, um, last week, I got into a car accident while driving in Mexico, and I just wanted to kind of go through and detail some of that, and kind of some things that I learned from that experience, as well as just kind of the context and everything behind it. I thought that would be kind of interesting. A lot of people reached out when I had posted about it, which was very nice. Very thoughtful of them to uh, be thinking about me. And I'll get all to that in details. I mean, we were, I'll, I'll give kind of a little bit more of a, a direct breakdown of what happened in the accident and what had, what had transpired in terms of like how close things really came for potentially being fatal. But I wanted to kind of set the scene first for a little bit. I was in a part of Mexico where I had served my mission, and I happened to be with a really good mission buddy of mine, uh, Cade McQuivy. It was his idea. He's actually uh, an orthopedic surgeon, 
down in Phoenix at the Mayo Clinic doing his residency. And this was a, a week that he had off. And he's like, I got to get out. I got to do something. And he, he hit me up. And I was like, let's do it. That sounds great to me. So it was kind of spur of the moment we got out there and kind of planned some things. And, and the idea was to not really have a set plan of where to stay. We were thinking, let's just find places like every night, just kind of crashing at random hotels and whatever else. And kind of fly by the seat of our pants, right? Rent a car and just hit the peninsula. Because where we served is was the entire Yucatan Peninsula at the time. Uh, it's two missions now. It's the it's when we were there. It was just called the the Merida mission, M E R I D A, which is in the state of the Yucatan. Um, right now, it's Merida and Cancun in the peninsula. So they've broken it into two missions, and uh, that happened well after we had returned home. Um, Cade McQuivy and I met. Pretty early on in the mission, my a buddy of mine had written me uh, from high school, a good friend of mine, and uh, he had said, hey, uh, watch out for an elder McQuivy. He should be in your mission. Um, that's my cousin. And I thought, great. So there was a conference, and he happened to be there, and I was like, McQuivy. I was like, hey, I know your cousin. He's like one of my really good buddies from high school. And just kind of from there, we hit it off. We jived really well. And... Not just during the mission, um, it was well. It was after the mission as well that we had kind of run in some similar circles down at BYU and Provo area. Um, that we we continued our friendship, and uh, that's continued out through the years. We've been really good friends this whole time. Um, on the mission, we had overlapped in the same zone. He was my zone leader when we were out in the Cancun area. Anyway, in my mission, in particular. I kind of had a more unique one. I was really all over the place. I was in some of the smallest, janky pueblos you could imagine, and then in some of the nicest touristy areas as well. Um, I was in a small town for seven and a half months that had well under 10,000 people in it, and most of the people that lived there were, for whatever reason, were, were actually in the United States working in Thousand Oaks, California, I remember. And then from there, I had gone to Playa del Carmen, and Playa del Carmen is known as one of the most hot spots in the entire uh, Riviera Maya. And so it was really quite the uh, contrast in terms of not just scenery, but kind of how the work was done there as a missionary. Playa del Carmen also has really good member support. So serving there was as a missionary was kind of just a dream, besides the fact that you were also in literal paradise. But anyway, so I'd been kind of all over. Ironically, I'd never actually served in the city of Merida, which, um, you know, pretty much every missionary in that mission had served there for at least a little bit, but I never did for whatever reason. And so returning was going to be fun. I thought, you know, kind of, it had been, I mean, I'd, I'd gone back maybe about a year after I'd come home, but it was really mainly to see members and, uh, people I was, I had the privilege of baptizing, um, and didn't really, uh, do much else, just a little bit touristy stuff. But for the most part, I was just kind of catching up with people again. This time it was a lot more touristy and thought maybe if we could figure, we could fit in some members or some people that we baptized, then maybe we could do that. But it wasn't really the priority. And so we kind of just went around the Holy Riviera Maya. And then at one point we're like, well, let's go to Valladolid. Valladolid's this uh, kind of this town. It's a really, it's a pretty neat city, actually. It's one of the oldest cities in the peninsula. And um, it was settled by the Spaniards. It's actually really close to Chichen Itza. And that had been one of my areas for a couple months, for a couple transfers. And um, it was nice to go back to that park where I remember doing a lot of contacting. Uh, I actually shared a photo of me sitting on a bench where I had contacted 
this younger kid. He was probably about 16 at the time, 15 or 16. I just approached him. And I was like, hey, we're missionaries. Um, you know, like take this pamphlet, like just kind of maybe read through it. And we'd love to come by and visit you and talk more about it. And he had seemed somewhat interested, but a lot of people do in the moment. So it's really hard to gauge like who's really feeling it. But um, we set a time and he told me where he lived and I was like, yeah, let's, let's hit him up. So the next, uh, day or two later, we, we went by his house and he had told us, he's like, you know, actually, I think my parents are members of this religion, but they weren't active and they weren't around either. So we weren't able to talk to them. Um, unfortunately we had both my companion and uh, I had been transferred out soon after that. And I hadn't really heard much and I still had over half of my mission left. And so I really had forgotten about that experience until my last transfer in the mission, I had been in that same zone where I was in from that area in Valladolid. And it wasn't until I had to do some splits with another set of missionaries that were in Valladolid to do some baptismal interviews down there. And when I had done some baptismal interviews, we there was a time when we were meeting back at the church to meet up with some members and other things and maybe another appointment. I can't really remember. When this kid had approached me and he had said, Elder Anderson, I heard you were here. Um, I like you, you contacted me in the park uh, over a year ago. And I got baptized, and I'm going to serve a mission. And it was a, it was really amazing to see that happen. I had zero clue about the fate of this kid. And he had accepted the gospel and had accepted it to the point where he felt like it was his privilege to share it with others. And I just, to, to experience that was really cool. That was my last transfer. I mean, I was leaving just a few weeks after that to finish my mission and to have that tender mercy and to feel kind of that love and the spirit in that moment was, was something I'll certainly never forget. And I found that bench that I had contacted him on, took a picture on it. It was pretty fun. Um, anyway, experiences like those were felt in the tri- on the trip for sure. Um, and we were in Valladolid, Kate and I, my buddy, and we had a great day. We went to these uh, ruins, Ekbalam, that are just a little bit outside of Valladolid. And then we figured after that, We'd go hit up a cenote that's right in the heart of Valladolid. That was in one of my that was in my area when I was there, and it was this beautiful cave-like situation. A lot of it's open, so you still kind of can be in the sun if you want. And it's got these cool areas to cliff jump off of, and it's just this amazing paradise, kind of in the middle of a city. And we went there and spent a couple hours there, and then we got lunch, and then hit the road because we figured we'd want to get into Cancun that night. Kind of, we were kind of aiming for around seven or eight, and. We hadn't been, I mean, it was about maybe a two and a half hour drive when all was said and done. And we specifically took a highway with no tolls. So it took us a bit. It was a little bit slower, but it was working fine. You know, I had, I had data for the, to the point that would show us where exactly to go. And we were maybe about an hour into the drive when um, we had pulled off to the side of the road. Because needless to say, uh, for the most part, it's very rare to find highways in Mexico with rest stops and so we thought hey you know what hit the offshoot and then you know we'll uh, rest up for a little bit so to speak get back in the car and get on our way and um, my buddy Cade he he was driving and when he was pulling out it was kind of on a slope so we kind of had to go up a hill to see some of the traffic 
and it was a two-lane highway, one lane going each way. You know, one lane pretty much going to Valladolid and the other going to Cancun. And he just crept out just a little bit to kind of get a better view. And he was looking behind him to see who was in our lane. And he saw that no one was there. But unbeknownst to us at the time, and it was hard to see, a moving truck that we figured it was like a Class C vehicle, probably about 10,000 pounds, um, had come over into our lane and was passing a car from its lane so it was doing a legal pass because it had been kind of the dotted line but in doing so it came directly into our lane and we didn't see it until it had been well too late and i had just turned right as it was hitting us and it was probably going at least 60 miles an hour because the speed limit was just a little bit below that but it was passing a vehicle so we figured it was probably going faster than that and we were out just a couple feet in that lane and fortunately it had hit the opposite corner of the car the the corner that was poking out the most and obviously it was pretty traumatic right away the airbags deployed Cade got burned on his on his wrists he's okay he was fine I mean it was just kind of annoying more than anything he kind of got a headache because the airbag hit him pretty hard I was buckled in so the airbag didn't even hit me um just kind of had a headache was all really but fortunately the guys stopped they came back to where we were on that offshoot we had called the rental company and the rental company hooked us up with the insurance guys and so the insurance guys came to assess everything on the spot and fortunately they were they were waiting around and they had to kind of have their own guys from the company they worked for come and assess things too to see if it was drivable still and their vehicle seemed drivable ours may have been drivable as well we weren't positive we we were able to back it up but it would have been kind of risky getting that thing all the way to cancun but either way the rental company didn't want us to move anyway they wanted us to wait for the tow truck the insurance guys came were able to settle everything and on the spot actually blamed the driver of the truck and um because he had obviously assumed the risk of coming into our lane and wasn't looking down road apparently enough to see us coming out just a really unfortunate uh set of events that took place and um Kate and I had a lot of time to reflect on it because we were sitting there for about five hours and we were just kind of talking a lot. A lot, a lot of it became kind of existential because we really started to reflect on everything that had happened and had, there were a lot of variables involved into the decision-making process there and had, had we tried to go out a little bit earlier uh, or a little bit later, like it seemed like there were a lot more potential variables that would have been a worse outcome than what had happened so we felt really blessed in that regard that it really that's all that happened and that's and had Cade pulled out a few more feet I would have been completely exposed and I really wouldn't have had an engine to kind of guard me versus this huge vehicle coming our way and in fact Cade had even gone through and done the math at one point and kind of marked the velocity and kind of the newtons behind that force of that vehicle and it put us in the range, and he, as, as a doctor, he was very well aware of this, it put us in the range where the likelihood of us surviving were slim to none, which made us reflect even more. I'm not really trying to be dramatic here, but I am trying to like give an idea of exactly kind of how close we were to some degree 
And when that was realized by us, we really started to feel a lot of gratitude because of what could have gone wrong. And the gravity of the situation started to set in. And we started to really talk about kind of, you know, what does this mean? You know, what are we feeling from this? What do we think, like, God is thinking of right now by preserving our lives? Because we're both big believers in God, and we believe that there was some intervention there. Um, and I specifically had come away realizing three things, two of which are related the first thing was that we were absolutely protected that night and that God was watching over us. And as I had said, it seemed like there were a lot more variables that would have led to things being worse than better. That was kind of our assessment of the situation. So I have zero doubt that we were protected. I felt that. I really felt like I was being watched over. One little tidbit that I thought was really cool too, nice little... uh message from the spirit as well was that one of the workers from the other company that had come to kind of assess the big truck at one point was kind of walking around and he saw me out by our car and our car was extremely damaged and he saw it and he looked at me and he's like so are you okay and I said yeah I am actually like I'm really I'm really feeling all right and he's like, that's, he's like, that's great. He's like, that's really all that matters. He's like, thank, thank God that you're okay. Um, and he points to the car and he's like, this, this is just material. Like, who, who cares about this? The really only thing that matters is that you guys are okay. And I really, that, there could have been a lot of animosity from, you know, not just the drivers that were in the other vehicle, but the people that were kind of with them. And this guy wasn't thinking along those lines at all. He was looking at what was most important, which was a nice reminder of, yeah, that was what was most important. And at one point when the tow truck had come, it had been five hours about at that point when we had been waiting. It was pushing, I don't know, 11 o'clock at that point, maybe 1030. It took a while to get into Cancun from there. But, um, you know, there was some impatience expressed, you know, and we're kind of feeling like, geez, like, why can't we get out of here? But at the same time, I thought, you know, I could wait here eight more hours if I needed to because I feel like right now we're almost in a sense living on borrowed time, which isn't fully true. I mean, I do feel like God had preserved us. And so with that meant that everything else that came after that was a gift from him in a way. And I could have been there for a ever almost in a sense just really thinking about everything which that's obviously an exaggeration but it really waiting five hours did not seem like much at all because Kate and I were able to reflect and we had some really cool conversations the other realization that I had and this was the bigger one was that I've always kind of expressed that I'm not really scared of death that I understand the plan of salvation I understand kind of what the next phase of life will be and kind of how the spirit world functions to some degree obviously I don't know the details of that but I know it's a thing and I'm not really scared to approach that I think it'd be kind of exciting in some ways but at the same time I also had a strong realization that I'm not ready for it and I do think those things are different and I had felt that 
this is the other part, kind of the third thing that's attached to that, that I'm not scared of death, but I, but I'm also not ready for is that I, by getting to the next phase of life, there's a strong likelihood that I would be lamenting to some degree that I had squandered my potential. Maybe not completely because I've been able to achieve a lot of great things on this earth so far in the 33 years that I've been here, but somewhat, to some degree, partially. You know, I've been wasting a lot of time with things that seem relatively unimportant in the grand scheme of things. And I think it's important to achieve a lot, as much as we can, that's of importance while we have a body and a spirit combined. Because it did occur to me that not having that body in the next phase would be really troublesome and it would be hard to really accept and so that was the that was the single biggest realization that I had that kind of that two-parter and that there's still a lot more that I want to do and I really felt like God was preserving me to maybe kind of make that more important now whether or not I actually listen I don't know I hope so that's the plan I wrote down some thoughts after that night maybe someday i'll share kind of them more in detail but i'll preserve that for now for just me and i'm very grateful for the spirit that was felt that night and i'm even in a way grateful for that experience period because it helped kind of jolt me into some sort of more awake awareness and not just kind of coasting. It's easy to coast a lot in the gospel. I think some of that has to do with living in Utah. I love living in Utah. I love it here. But I do think that it's easy to kind of stand on the testimony of others around us and just kind of go through the motions without actually really feeling dedicated to what it means to living the gospel, to being zealous believers, so to speak. And... I was able to reflect kind of on other talks that I've read and, and kind of try and remember some some things that other leaders in the church have, have said to that is in regards to kind of how we're supposed to live and kind of how we should treat our lives. And I was reminded of a talk from S. Christopher Waddell, who I believe is the first counselor in the presiding bishopric. And the talk is titled, Are You Ready?, which is funny because the short answer for me is no. Um, an excerpt that he has in that talk was something that stood out to me, and I actually looked it up again because I knew there was something there that I had liked, and I went back and found it. And he says, The adversary, on the other hand, will do everything possible and will put up every obstacle he can devise to hinder your progress and keep you from being ready. He wants to distract you. He wants to confuse you to keep you from fulfilling your divine destiny as an heir of exaltation. I think, and this that was the quote, and this is, my, this is me coming back in. I think more than anything, the adversary, as was mentioned here, hates the fact that we were given bodies. He's very jealous of that. I think his minions feel the same way. And their goal is to, one of their major goals is to not just you know, hurt our overall potential and to make it so it doesn't, it's not realized, but also to make us abuse this gift that we've been given to have bodies, to feel these certain sensations. And they want us to take advantage of it in all the wrong ways. And that 
quote really resonated with me because I have been distracted in a lot of ways. I have been putting my emphasis in the wrong things in this, you know, especially as a single 33-year-old that probably puts a little bit too much emphasis on the wrong things that matter, maybe when it comes to dating or when it comes to who I'm looking for in a spouse. And I, I'm not sitting here going to say like, oh, it's snap of the finger, next day I wake up and my, my whole perception has changed. I don't think it works that way. But it was a nice reminder that I do need to reflect on the stagnation that I have been committing essentially in this life. And I do appreciate that reminder from God. And that's the biggest takeaway that I have from that experience. Because just a difference of a couple feet could have put me in a whole different position, potentially and very likely fatal. And I felt like it was worth sharing that with the people that listen to this podcast. Um, And it's a unique approach for me to just be me talking on this podcast and and relating this story to everybody. Um, But, you know, I know most of you and I love you all. And the fact that you're taking time to listen to this means a lot to me. And I do hope that you're able to extract certain things from this that are valuable and helpful for you that basically add a positive mindset to your life. And um, I'm always looking for suggestions on how to improve this, topics to talk about, or feedback in any form. And so if there's anything that you'd like me to discuss or discuss with me, by all means, please reach out. Um, This has been fun to do this, and I hope you didn't find this too dramatic, but I did want to share it because I've been processing this experience a lot this last week. It really happened almost exactly a week ago, so I figured it was time to maybe kind of come forward and mention it and make it available for anybody that wanted to hear, because I almost almost died in Mexico, and uh, it would have been something to die in the place that I served. In a way, it would have been kind of nice to think that, you know, I put two years of pretty hard work in that area and died right in the middle of it. Anyway, I don't mean to be morbid, because I really think death is should be a more welcoming topic, but especially if we're ready for it. And I think that's the most important takeaway that I have, is that in order for me to be more positive towards the outcome of this life being death, then I better be ready for it. And... I hope everybody that's listening to this is more ready for it as well. Did you fade right out of you? If it takes time, if it takes time to get to you, I'll get to you. If it takes time, if it takes time, I'll get to you. I'll